The 60th parallel north marks the delineation between the Canadian provinces and the Canadian territories. North of 60, as it's sometimes called, is a whole different world. There are no big cities. The shortest day of the year here, at the southernmost point of the territories, yields just under six hours of daylight. The land is vast, the terrain is diverse, and the population is sparse. It is a place of great solitude, where great peoples have endured despite harsh conditions for thousands of years, and where people have ventured, both cautiously and boldly, in search of furs and gold and adventure. On July 15, 1870, the Hudson's Bay Company sold the Northwestern Territory and Rupert's Land to the new country of Canada for the grand sum of 300,000 pounds. This was almost all of the land currently found within Canada's modern-day border. The Northwest Territories, as it's known today, went through many border changes through the years to create new provinces and new territories. Through border changes, explorations, and exploitations, the stories of the people of the land have persisted. Some are central to the cultural heritage of the people, and others are downright strange. One might even call them some weird. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Some Weird Podcast. I am your co-animator, Barry. And I'm your co-host, Chrissy. Look at us being bilingual. That's right. It's part of Canada. Well, actually, when we get into some of our interesting facts about this episode, episode six of the Great Weird North, the Northwest Territories, we'll get into a little bit of language. Yeah, I got to say, prior to research for this episode, I knew nothing about the Northwest Territories. I knew Yellowknife. That was mm-hmm. it. And I also knew that it was once a, a huge, it was Northwest Territories and it split between Northwest Territories and none of it. But other than that, that's about what I knew. Same. And one thing I did for this was I looked on the city of Yellowknife, which is the capital of the Northwest Territories, uh, their city's website. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, I kind of want to go there. It does look like a really cool, majestic place. I mean, the population of all Northwest Territories is 45,000 people. Yeah, 45,000 people in total. It's kind of mind-boggling. And in Yellowknife, there's almost 20,000 people. Yeah, it's so. like almost half of them in one spot. So, yeah, no, and another thing, too, is I didn't realize Northwest Territories joined Canada so early on in the country's inception. Neither did I. And this really speaks to my ignorance and or... The fact that you can just you can learn stuff uh, if you if you want to go look for it. So like we, I talked in the intro about the 60th parallel north is kind of like a line, just like a straight line across uh, Canada, and that line is like below there you have your uh, the provinces, and above it you have the territories. And to me, uh, looking at that map, kind of like above the blackboard in school, and just that's all I knew it as my whole life. I just assumed that was, that's what it was, but it really was not like the Northwest Territory or it was originally called the Northwestern Territory was almost all of Canada. Like almost Rupert's land was kind of like the Eastern part, just West of Ontario. And then West of Rupert's land was the Northwestern Territory. And that was basically everything. Most of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, British Columbia, Yukon, Northwest Territories, and none of it. Like, basically all of that was the Northwestern yeah. Territory. Yeah, given or sold to Canada by a corporation. Yeah, sold, sold by the uh, uh, HBC, the Hudson's Bay Company. 
in pursuit of beaver. Yeah. And another thing I didn't realize either, which is kind of odd because we've already covered both Ontario and Quebec, those provinces, ori- like in the original state of, of Canada, were really tiny. Yeah. Very tiny. Like Ontario is basically just the southern border. The Golden Horseshoe Park. That was about it. Pretty much, yep. Well, probably went up as far as Ottawa-ish, I think. Oh, it would have covered Ottawa for sure. Yeah, that far off. But yeah, like all that northern Ontario, which is a huge spot, was all part of the Northwest Territories. Originally, when we mapped out this season where we would go through each province and territory as they joined, the original four made sense because they're all yep. geographically there together. And then Manitoba is like right next to Ontario. So that, that that made sense. And then the Northwest Territories, I thought, like, why would you go all the way up? north like why wouldn't they expand westward yeah instead of like northward because they probably thought as i did before i started research that that's like a frozen wasteland so why do that but it wasn't up north it included up north but also all of out west so it's like the louisiana purchase in the united states it wasn't the state of louisiana it was like half the united states yeah and the biggest thing about Norwest Territories, and something I've kind of always wondered, but never wondered enough to actually look it up, mm-hmm. so I guess I didn't worry about it too much, was why is it a territory and not a province? Same. And what's the difference between a province and a territory? So that was one of the tangents I went on. And I would say that, well, according to Reddit, most Canadians also don't know the answer to that. So I'm going to yeah. assume that our listeners probably don't. If you already know this, just go ahead and skip like probably, well, I'm talking maybe five minutes, but probably like a minute. And if you don't know, let me tell you why. So Canada, like I said, has 10 provinces and three territories, and they're all within one border. Like geographically, everything touches everything else. So we don't have a territory over there. Like yeah. United States has Guam way over there or like Puerto Rico, like it doesn't touch, you know. Yeah. Um, so in Canada, it's uh, the concept of a territory is a little bit different. It really all comes down to how they're governed. So a province has its own regional government. So it has its own premier, its own legislature, basically has its own local government, whereas the territories do not. They are solely governed by the federal, federal government. Yeah. What's the reason for that? Probably in the beginning, it might have come down to racism. <laughs> like they don't need it oh, because... Really? Yeah, probably. I think that's a speculation on my part. But like even today, the greater percentage of people in the territories, especially Northwest Territories and none of it, are Native people. So originally, anyway, it might have come down to that. But today, the the reason is population wise, a lot of the things that traditionally a province is responsible for, such as schools and hospitals, they don't have a population base big enough to provide the tax money to provide those services. So that's why they're under the federal government themselves. They are represented in parliament. I think there's one MP, yeah. Yeah, they have one MP per territory. Can you imagine being the one representative for a place that's bigger than Europe? Yeah, quite the campaign trail, wouldn't it be? I guess you'd have to go buy dog sled. Yeah, no, it's a huge thing. And um, one of the things, too, that I came across, too, is that the creation of it, if you ever wanted to come up with a new province, create a new province, mm-hmm. it would require a constitutional amendment. However, the creation of new territory only requires an act of parliament. And that's why in 1999, and we'll get to this at our last episode, uh, how they could split the Northwest Territories into uh, Northwest Territories and none of it. So we need to get one of those, uh, I'm just a bill, what do they call it? Was it the Schoolhouse Rock. We need to get a school of rock done for about that. 
So if you uh, didn't know that, now you're enlightened. If you did know that, welcome back because you skipped that last part. That's right. Pretty small population. Did you find any wrestlers? I did not. I really looked oh, hard no. and I, couldn't, I could not find any wrestling. I couldn't find any wrestling territories, any local. I'm sure there must be. I mean, I didn't scour the internet, but there's definitely uh, okay. not a big wrestling contingent in the Northwest Territories. But I did come up with a couple of things. Okay. This might be our first episode without a wrestler in it. Yeah. That's, what can we do? And probably the most famous person to come from here would be Margaret Kidder. I think this is how you pronounce her name. Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder. Okay. Yeah. Margot Kidder. She was an actress. She won a couple of uh, Canadian Screen Awards. So pretty well, if you're an actress and you starred in something on Canada that was on TV, you probably got a Screen a screen Award from Canada. There's not too many <laughs> out there. But most famously, she played Lois Lane in the original Superman movies. She's known for that and also for going a little crazy. Yeah, she had a bit of a pretty public meltdown in, yeah. in the mid to late 90s. And um, I think she ended up becoming a bit of a uh, champion of mental health. I guess she's been treated. She's getting help now. Well, she's passed away now. so. Oh, well then. She's met her maker, so she's getting all the help in the world. I didn't know she died. The pearly gates. She's getting all the help. I had no idea that she was Canadian. So then I guess if you think about it, both Superman and Lois Lane are Canadian. Crystal Reeves Canadian? Uh, no, but Joel... Um, oh, yeah, Joel Schuster. I don't know. Come on, Heritage Minute. How come I can't remember yeah, that's right. It was the artist, the artist who drew the Superman. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was, he was from Canada. The comic book writer was from Ohio or something. Sounds about right. So that's one of the uh, famous people. That's pretty much the, the most famous person. Bit of a stretch here, but Leslie Nielsen, he was actually born in Regina. But his father was an RCMP officer. And if, you're, if anybody that was in the RCMP, if any of our listeners are RCMP officers, driving around, listening to this while they're catching bad guys, they get stationed and they get moved around a fair bit. And I, th- I don't know what the protocols are, I don't know if it's a union thing or, or whatever, but they can just kind of get up and repositioned and, and reposted in a different place. Mm-hmm. And, and his father was an RCMP officer and he was posted in Northwest Territory. So Leslie Nielsen did spend some time in the Northwest Territories. I'm sure that we have at least two RCMP officers as listeners. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yes. Hi, guys. Yeah. And Leslie Nielsen, obviously, is famous for Police Squad. So I don't know if he learned about all this while he was stationed in North- Northwest <laughs> Territories when he was writing this, this show, mm-hmm. starting this show. Mm-hmm. And that show later spun off into uh, the Naked Gun uh, film series. Yeah, I think for me, that's what he's most well-known yeah, for. Yeah, he is most famous for Naked Gun, but the Naked yeah. Gun was actually based on a TV show called Police Squad. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Ever. Uh, it even says the first one's called From the Falls from Police Squad. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. no, I wasn't familiar with the show, but the those uh, <laughs> movies starring Leslie Nielsen and O.J. Simpson. The Juice as Nordberg. <laughs> yeah. Those are great movies. Leslie Nielsen was originally a, a big, big dramatic actor, but then he started doing these spoof films such as The Naked Gun and Scary Movies and all, this, all yeah. that kind of stuff. That doesn't surprise me at all because he has such a booming, resonant voice. Yeah. He could have made his entire career being on CBC radio, I'm sure, if he wanted to. So Leslie Nielsen uh, spent some time up there, not born enough from there, but he, he certainly lived there for a while. Uh Vic Mercury, he was the first uh, player drafted in NHL for Northwest Territories. He was actually half Chippewan. And Chippewan, uh, I, I know that term from the song, The Record of Edmund Fitzgerald. But this is back in the 70s. So he draft, 1973, he was drafted by the Atlanta Flames, who are no longer a team. They're not the Calgary Flames. And that's pretty much the famous people. 
Another really interesting thing I found about uh, uh, Northwest Territories is the ice roads. Oh, you're familiar with the ice roads? I've heard of the ice road truckers, but I've never seen it. I don't really know anything except for it's a thing. So what what's it all about? There's a TV show called Ice Truckers. It had 11 seasons on the History Channel. And basically what that show was about is these roads that they make in Northwest Territories, or not just Northwest Territories, but specifically in the Northwest Territories, there's a lot of towns that are only accessible by helicopter or plane for most of the year. Yeah. So they're, they're so remote. But in the winter... There's nearly 2,000 kilometers of roads that are temporarily accessible when the lakes freeze. That's that's scary. Yeah. These roads are actually maintained by the government, by the transportation department. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess once it gets cold enough when they freeze, and these roads freeze to be like thick enough that a jumbo jet can land on them. So they get really, really thick and take a lot, a lot of weight because I guess it's so cold there, right? Wow. So these roads actually give 12 Northwest Territories towns a link that they usually don't have. Some of these routes are short, just a couple of kilometers, and others are as long as 650 kilometers. You could totally binge our entire catalog. Yeah, the whole thing is just, just, just driving through. <laughs> and, and like I said, I think you've got to be really prepared. If you're about to take a 650-kilometer drive on the frozen rivers, you got to be pretty prepared. Like I don't think there's a gas yeah. station halfway through or anything like that, right? So no. you probably got to bring extra gas. you probably got to... Yeah. And if you don't break down, you must be fucked, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, what, do you, what do you do? Like, you must have to have like a generator and a tent and, and a heat source and all this kind of stuff just in case you break down because you probably die pretty quick, I'm sure. If you did not have the amenities like that. Yeah. Oh, and they must have like satellite phones and like all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, all, all the stuff that you need uh, in yeah. order to make these trips. Like, these, these aren't the interstates. These aren't the trans. No. This isn't the Trans Canada Highway. No, you're not pulling off to Tim Hortons on the way. Yes. <laughs> you're not going to the rest stop to get to Tim's and, and take a nice dump. <laughs> so like I said, these roads, they're, they're narrow, they're rutted. Usually the maximum you can drive on these is 50 kilometers an hour. 50 right. kilometers an hour for 600 kilometers. So you're looking at a 14 hour drive, right? So they must have vehicles and they're just sitting there doing nothing for nine months of the year and then all of a sudden they can break them out. They're cutting the donuts. It's only uh, three months that they can drive on them? It's been as many as five depending on the winter. Now, like I said, if they close in March or April... Really close to the end of when it's closed, and I'm probably not driving that road. You get halfway there and you fall through or something because it's too warm. It starts to warm up. Oh yeah, you're in like a billion ton truck full loaded down with tin bits. Yeah, so they they only recommend that sorry, they <laughs> only recommend that you take these roads for the the emergency reasons only. It's not like for pleasure drives or nothing like that. But usually these routes only have anywhere from twenty to eighty vehicles per day. So like I said, if you were to break down, it could be hours in between seeing vehicles, right? You don't have to worry about any traffic jams. I wouldn't take the jalopy out on the air. I wouldn't take Archie's jalopy out there. You want to make sure it's a pretty good, reliable vehicle. That's right. A nice K car or something. <laughs> a nice, reliant automobile. Now I have it on my list of places to go. I do want to go to Yellowknife. What do you think the odds are that you'll ever make it there? Slim. I think they're yeah. slim. Yeah. I mean, first of all, we got to open the border. Isn't isn't the border <laughs> closed between United well, States that, and Well, that will happen, right? I mean, you know. There is Visor and Moderna's, and that one is like 40% effective. Oh, here's something that I forgot. The Northern Lights. Have you ever seen them? No, I haven't, no. The Northwest Territories clearly is one of the prime places in the world to see the Northern Lights. There's an inn, or there's more than one inn, I believe, in around Yellowknife that you can um, see, you could view the Northern Lights from the comfort of your own room. So I guess, oh, wow. yeah, I guess they have like skylights and you can uh, watch the Northern Lights like that. That would be, that'd be awesome. That'd be pretty freaking cool if you ask me. 
I did actually know I did see the Northern Lights once recently on YouTube. They were singing Tears Are Not Enough. That's what they were called? Yeah, it's what it is. Tears Are Not Enough, Northern Lights, yeah. Northern yeah. I did not know that's what they were called. So why while, while you're in this hotel, you that that's the song that's playing while you're looking up and watching the the real Northern Lights. <laughs> you see Brian Adams floating by and Luba. That's one cool thing. That would be really cool to do. And apparently it's certain times of the year is a, is a better time to see the Northern Lights. Well, are they, are they there like every night? I don't think you could. Maybe you can see them, but like for the really spectacular ones, I believe it was like August to September is a really good time of year. I think the other one was like April, March, something like that. So, yeah, obviously it depends on like where the earth is on its axis and all that kind of stuff, I'm assuming. The earth. Yep, that's right. Okay, so that's Northern Lights. And then the other uh, f- interesting thing was, even though uh, Canada has two official languages, English and, and French, the Northwest Territories actually has nine other additional official languages. They have English and French, and then nine indigenous people's languages, and they're all um, official languages. Well, wow. uh, official to the territory. Yes, New Brunswick is the province that's officially English Bilingual. and French. Yep. Quebec is officially French. You know, other provinces are officially English. The Northwest Territories' um, official languages are English and French and nine other indigenous languages. Oh. Like if you if you had to go to court or something like that, it's only official if it's in either English or French. But if you wanted to vote, you could vote in any of those languages. Or like if you go to... Like the the picture that I saw online was like an eye doctor, and it's got like all eleven languages, like what it is written down, so you can get service in in any language. So the, the eye doctor knows all eleven languages. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like I would say that an eye doc that eye doctor either has a, tr- a bunch of translators or is probably the most highly paid eye doctor in North America. <laughs> now, when you think about it, I mean. There's only 45,000 people there. Yeah. And, you know, some of these languages are probably only spoken by a very small amount of people. Yeah. So to, to, to officially know this language, know all 11 of them, that's impressive. That is impressive. One of those interpreters for one of those languages, I mean, they must, uh, how much work do they get, I wonder? Like you said, I mean, I don't know. the least used one must be at most like a couple thousand people. You would think so with with that many. Well, so there's but there's forty five thousand people in the um, Northwest Territories. But then those languages may also be spoken by people in Nunavut and and Yukon. Yeah, and, that's true. And the northern uh, prairies and northern Quebec and northern Ontario and stuff too, right? Like all the north places. Okay, so did you want to tell your story? Yep. So the uh, story I have is about a famous figure in the Dene, and again, if I pronounce that wrong, I apologize. Uh, culture. Uh, they are an indigenous group and one of the First Nations people that who inhabited the northern part of Canada for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. As with many cultures, they have a very rich folklore of heroes, cryptids, other figures. Like any, like you, we talked about the the Wendigo of, mm-hmm. of Labrador. And again, they have their own very specific culture around this thing. And they, one of the most well-known figures that they have, it's uh, known as the Yamoria. Uh, but he's considered a hero of the Dene. Okay. According to their culture, um, not long ago, giant beasts roamed the earth, and the people were lawless, cannibalistic. Uh, the people were like, so basically, there was these, their thoughts was there's these big animals in the land, and they, they were kind of the dominant species, whereas people were not, or humans were not. Okay. And humums were starving, and they were fighting for food, and result, uh, resulting in eating themselves to try and stay alive. 
Mm-hmm. So there's a big struggle to survive, and these big giant beasts roam the earth and dominate it, murder dominant species. There are two brothers that were set to um, set the world straight, and that was Yamoza and Yamoria, uh, the saviors of of the world. Okay. In their culture. Again, the story varies a little bit. In some stories, there were actually one person. Some stories, there were brothers. Different that, but uh, for the most part, uh, Yamora is the one that you hear more often. But uh, there was two brothers, Yamaza and Yamoria. Whether it was out of two people or one, the purpose was to usher out the age of darkness and bring freedom to the Dene. So they were Dene people, the brothers? Uh, they were considered heroes. I don't think they were actually they were like these giant figures that saved the Dene people from these animals. Okay, okay, gotcha. According to the story, the ancient land of the Dene, which is the modern-day North and West Territories, uh, was, were terrorized by giant, what do you think? Wendigo. Close. Beavers. Ah! <laughs> saber-toothed beavers? Imagine the sick hats you could make out of them. Yeah, that's what my next note was. Just imagine what the Hudson Bay Company could have done with this crowd. <laughs> so these beavers, according to the legend, were the size of bears. Maybe they were bears. Mm, could have been, but I guess they had the teeth of a beaver. So oh, okay. That's buck the... tooth bears or beaver tooth bears. <laughs> Maybe they're nerd bears with buck teeth and glasses. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So... These beavers were savage, and according to the Dene, they don't like beavers. They say that beavers are are, are a uh, animal that has no natural predator, so there's no way to can really control their population. So Yamora chased a family of giant beavers down the Great Bear River into the Mackenzie, where he slayed a beaver family and pinned their uh, belts atop a mountain known as Bear Rock. So again, he's the one that actually tamed the beavers, and this is one of the stories that they talk about. Okay. He then cooked the beaver on the side of the river and some of the beaver grease dripped into the fire. And it said that the fire still burns nearby when you can see see him by the lucky few. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so he cooked, uh, he, he killed these beavers, cooked them up, ate them up, and the grease dripped through and you can see. Now, in, in reality, this is an area where there's a lot of natural gas and sometimes you'll see smoke from the natural gas. S- swamp so, gas or something like that. Yeah, a that's lot right. Of, so how do they, ex- yeah. they explain it by, uh, it was <laughs> it was the flames of the giant beaver juice that was eaten by, uh, Yamora, and yeah, there's a million jokes that we're not going to touch with that. So in his quest to uh, rid the land of giant beavers, he also chased them to the northwest corner of Saskatchewan, where one of the beavers actually kicked all the trees away in the, in the big scramble that they had. And this is now known as the Athabascan Sand Dunes. Is this a place in Saskatchewan that doesn't have any trees right now? Yeah, it is. It's the sand oh, dunes. Okay. It's like, I think there's, that's a lot where a lot of the, um, a lot of the sand oil, tar sands is. Okay. Saskatchewan, Alberta, right? So again, one of these things, okay, how did this ever come to be? Well, it was obvious, uh, you know, Yamoria was fighting the giant beaver and the beavers kicked all the trees away. So there Would, you go. Wouldn't the beaver like bite all the trees down like <laughs> like beavers do? <laughs> well, I guess when they were, they were fighting at the time and they were having oh, okay. this big battle. I'm picturing it like Peter Griffin fighting a giant chicken. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking too, yeah. <laughs> After defeating another uh, beaver, he actually tossed part of it into an empty dam into the Athabascan River. And this is actually where there's a, an island here today. And they weren't had its island ever got created. So that's the story. Okay. Yeah. Beaver so, Bit Island, it's called. Beaver Bit Island. And in this time, in Diné at the time, were really scared of beavers. And when they paddled by in canoes, they do so quietly because they didn't want to disturb them, afraid that these giant beavers would attack. Okay. Uh, the beavers would capsize the canoes and break them up. He also uh, saved people from mind-controlled uh, giant wolverines. Jesus famous story that they, they had so all kinds of weird shit on the go up in the northwest territories but real talk was there such thing as like 
ancient giant beavers? There in, is actually in real life. There is. So, okay. I mean, I know you talk about giant beavers. What were you thinking? They actually existed from forty thousand to sixteen thousand years ago. Okay. Uh, there were beavers the size of a bear with eight-inch teeth. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is, and I think at the time, like the corpses and stuff would be inside the rivers, and people would mm. go by and they'd see the bones and all that. I guess from there, the story started making. Okay, these were giant beavers. This is what they did. They controlled the land, mm-hmm. and what happened to them? Well, this godlike figure okay. saved yep. us from them, right? And that's where the stories begin, right? If they uh, if they had a giant eight inch tooth beaver at the Salmon or Nation Park, do you think they'd get more people there or no? I think they would. I think yeah. that would be a very a big draw. Okay, Going back sorry. to the story about the Wolverines, um, he basically tricked the Wolverines to get close, killed the parents, and squeezed the young Wolverines by shrinking them to the size they are today. So that's how they tamed the Wolverines. I would be more afraid of a Wolverine than a beaver. Oh, though, if it was a giant beaver like giant. you're talking about, maybe I'd, meh. Yeah. I don't, and their, their I'm going to stay was, away from all of them. Yeah. In in the lore is that their, their thought was that there's, nothing there, there's no predators for the beaver, so because yeah. of that. They're a dominant species, and yeah, no yeah. one. There's no control of them, so yeah. And they're they're frightened to death of them because I guess you know a beaver the size of a bear with these big teeth. Jesus Christ, that's yeah. a scary thing. Yeah. Once Yamoria and Yamoza tamed the large animals and squeezed them to normal size, whatever happened to them? Uh, some people say they continued down the Mackenzie River, battling beavers until they float into the Arctic Ocean and retired somewhere away from the Dene lands. Mm. So again, they just cleaned it all out, killed all the beavers. Sailed on that down and went on to retirement. That's right. There you go, boys. Now you can live in peace with the little normal-sized beavers. Others say that they reunited about 300 kilometers northeast of Yellowknife. And he argued over which one had more power. So the two godlike figures got into a fight with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had an epic battle where the earth roared, the earth shook. And the fight caused many of the lakes to dot the landscape. So again, as they're fighting and... The big chicken was fighting uh, Peter Griffin. They're beating each other up and all these rivers and lakes and ponds and whatever the case may be, uh, all got created through their big battle. Mm-hmm. When I picture this fight, what I would picture would be a, uh, do you ever watch Power Rangers? Yes. You know, when the Power Rangers all put together into one big robot and then they yeah. fight the other game, they just, they just flatten the whole city every week. <laughs> next next episode comes lying, the city's back to normal. Yep, yep. But there's no well, giant what, beavers left either. Yeah, that's what this fight was. Okay, yeah, I got it. I picture yeah. it right now. Yeah, so no one knows who won the fight or what became of the brothers after the contest. But the Dene are forever grateful of the efforts that they were freed from the giant beavers. No other giant beavers attacked after this. So again, whenever these guys cleaned it up, they never came back. There's a lot of elements in that story that's similar to other sort of creation stories or, or legend stories. Like, as soon as you said that the, the two things were brothers, like I thought about yeah. uh, Romulus and, and Remus, the founders of Rome, and how their epic stories, you know, kind of started that culture off. It's yeah. the same thing, like way on the other side of the world, but in a different... Stories everywhere are the same with with different details. That's what yeah, always they, fascinates me. Yeah, they're all, like I said, they all kind of, they're not the same, they all rhyme, I guess is the best way to put it. Yes. Not the exact same thing, but you, you can kind of plug in a few different things from different cultures and you mm-hmm. get the exact, kind of the same story. The Dene people also believe that there are certain sacred areas that you cannot visit without paying respect. Like there's caves under mountains and things like that, and if you don't pay the proper respects, they think that the um, some of these places are where the beavers were put. To, to stay outside, to, you know, to, to tame them or whatever. And if mm-hmm. you disrupt them or disrupt the, the sacred areas, the beavers will come back. 
would say back to life, they come out from these caves and they'll start mm-hmm. roaming the world again, start taking over again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another interesting thing about these two stories and, and how I came across them is that uh, they actually been in the news recently. So in September of 2017, there was someone flying a plane between Yellowknife and another area in, um, in, in Northwest Territories. And as they're flying by, they looked down and there was this giant footprint made in the snow. So it was shared on social media and people started saying, that's Yomoria where he fought the giant beavers. That's one of his footprints from back in the day when he had these fights. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So another story in September 2017 as well was a gentleman by the name of Mark Pocklington. He was on the top of a mountain uh, near an area in Northwest Territories. And he was on a project to remove boulders to restore a sacred site. So it was one of these sacred sites that they found that was sacred to some of the indigenous peoples. And they were removing certain rocks from it. And they came across a heart-shaped rock. So it's this big heart-shaped rock. And we'll, and we'll put these pictures on the, on the social media feeds so you can see them. Okay. He was an experienced prospector, just like our gentleman from the Manitoba episode. Uh, how many languages it, did he speak? He spoke yeah, all right. 11 official lang- languages of the Northwest Territories. But again, the heart-shaped rock uh, t- attracted a lot of attention. Pocklington thinks it was naturally created because when he looked at it, there's no like you know chisel marks or anything yeah. in the side of the heart to make. So it was definitely there, right? So... Uh, and he said that they don't occur very often in the natural world. And as I say that, I recall specifically in our family reunion that I found a heart-shaped rock and I gave it to my wife. So I guess it's really? not too... Uh, yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, okay. It wasn't as big as this one. Like This one was like in the ground and you couldn't really get it out without taking it out. It was a pretty significant sized rock. <laughs> you gave it to her and it crushed her. That's yeah, right. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the one I had was like very small. Okay. The Diné people, they took this as a sign that was that uh, Yamoria was happy that they restored one of these sacred sites, so they put his heart there. That's interesting. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, it's a mountain saying, thank you for restoring the sacred site, and here's a heart. So That's pretty cool. It's yeah. always a little bit off-putting when you see things in nature that have a distinct shape, like a heart yeah. or, or something that's like perfectly square. It's like, no, that has to be made somehow manufactured somehow but the thing about a heart though is like the, the shape of a heart that we see in valentine's day that's nothing like what a heart looks like no i don't no. understand how like what what the heart actually is became oh what the the valentine shape that's a good question write that down for a future uh yeah. <laughs> season six everybody <laughs> the story that i'm going to tell is it all centers around the nahani valley um, and it also involves the Dene people. If you look up photos of it, it's like a magical paradise land. You can't even b- believe how nice this place looks. Nice in what way? I mean, just, all right, I'll, I'll describe some things to you. So it's about 30,000 square kilometers. And uh, it's all within the Nahani National Park in the Northwest Territories. It has the most diverse terrain of any Canadian national park. So it's got gigantic mountains, raging rivers. A lot of people go up there for white water rafting. It's one of the best places in the world for that. It's right where the, I think it's called Boreal Forest is. It's like the, before you get above the tree line. So these beautiful evergreen trees are there. It's got diverse wildlife. No giant beavers, but like there's. I'm sure they were there before. Before, but like, you know, that was thousands of years ago. But now they have, you know, what you would expect. Regular ass beavers, buffalo, bears. A lot of bears are there, you know the bird bird watching it's like a paradise up there and they have uh in this nahani valley the virginia falls they're twice as high as niagara falls really wow yeah 
never heard of them before, but I guess they're like way, way up there in the Northwest Territory. So obviously it's not as big of a draw. But if you saw pictures of this, you it's like it's breathtaking up there. And it's also a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And you can get that designation for various reasons. And the reason why it has it is because of the diverse and unique natural beauty of the place. Cool. You would never think if you saw a picture, like if I just showed you a picture and said, where's this? You would never say, oh, that's in the Northwest Territories. You you know, it would be like it's the Grand Canyon or something like. Oh, wow. Yeah. or Well, not the Grand Canyon. That's like a desert. But you would say it's, I don't know somewhere in, in not as north yeah. <laughs> carbon somewhere not as north in canada i think yeah you, if, unless it's like ice and tundra and that you wouldn't think that that make you think northwest territories like we said before uh, right right which is you know let's we're learning here even though the nahani national park is a unesco world site because of its natural beauty there is also no shortage of supernatural beauty Ooh. what a segue so the name Nahani is said to derive from the word Naha, which is a, leg- a legendary ancient tribe of the oral stories um, told by the Dene people. The Dene story tell of these enemies. So the Naha people were, first they had the big crazy beavers, and then they had these Naha people. <laughs> they were their next enemies. The uh, The brothers had already floated up to the North Pole or wherever they went, so they weren't around to save them. They were there in, in like ancient times, the Naha were their enemy. So the Naha people, they were said to wear these masks in order to frighten their enemies away. Or some Dene stories say that they weren't fully human. They were some mix of human and beast. Beaver. Yes, human slash beaver. So the Naha lived in the Nahani Valley and the Dene would would never go in that area. Like that's the land of the Naha. Don't go there. But every, you know, sometimes... They were living up north and they were hunters. So if a if there was a, a particularly bad hunting season, sometimes they would be forced to go into the Nahani Valley in search of food. Sometimes when the hunters would go into the Nahani Valley, they just would never return. And then the people would be left to the imagination what, what could have happened to them. But sometimes they did come back with meat fortunately, but also they come back with some terrifying stories about their encounters with the Naha. So they were said to have an evil magic and they caused people to just disappear like smoke. David Copperfield. Like, yes. he, And then he'd end up in Hawaii and an elephant would disappear. And, and th- those things are so stupid, but, but not these things. These, these things are pretty cool. So like, they'd be like a hunting party would go and, you know, all the hunters would be all going along. And then all of a sudden, right in front of their eyes somebody would just like poof and be gone and they would say that was the evil magic of the nahani valley that was making that happen they also had stories of a a creature like a cryptid called the nakani and this was a cave dwelling sasquatch like beast that would hunt at night and they were known to come and steal the humans away the denny away and then suddenly one day poof out of nowhere the naha people just vanished some of their stories like, were like, well, done. what was it the Nakani monster? Did they, did the Nakani destroy all the Naha people? Or uh, was Memoria it? Moria took them out. Uh, could be that. Maybe they came back down from wherever they were hiding and wiped them out. Or was it some other evil force? They don't know. But whatever it was, the Dene people were just in case they were going to stay away from the Naha Valley or the Nahani Valley. Eventually, European people were drawn to the Northwest Territories. 
So colonialists are, again, they only go to places where they think there's some resources there for the taking. This is the story for much of uh, Canada's history of colonialism. So the uh, first, uh, the white people were drawn to the Northwest Territories in search of the Northwest Passage. So this was, they thought there was some waterway that would connect the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean. And they would be able to open up trade routes that way. And that would be like super freaking awesome. And whoever would discover that would be like untold fame and fortune. By the way, did you know that uh, who in history has the most places on earth named after them? Like if someone had found the Northwest Passage, it would have been like, say you found it, it would be like Barry's Land or something, you know. Yeah. So who do you think has the most places on earth named after them? Christopher Columbus. No, that's a pretty good guess. Nope. Um, John Cabot? Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria. Okay. Think, think about it. She yeah, was... she was the queen. Yeah. She was the queen during the height of British colonialism. So... Um, Everything was named in her honor. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense now you say it. Yeah. There's got to be places in Newfoundland named something Victoria. Victoria, B.C. Behind Carboneer. Behind Carboneer. <laughs> and also there. British Columbia. So, yeah, that's right. There you go. Yeah. But anyway, that has not... That has nothing to do with this. But if if somebody had found that Northwest Passage, that would have been awesome. But the waterways don't go to the Pacific. They go to the Arctic Ocean. So scratch that. And then the second thing they were drawn to the North for was for the furs, right? You got to get them hacked. Yep. Uh, much of the Canada, as we know, was owned by the Hudson's Bay Company uh, at the time. Eventually, they sold it for 300,000 pounds. And this question is whether they actually owned it, right? Well, how, yes, how can you own, I, I don't know, we don't need to get into that, but no, anyway, okay. somebody gave the Hudson's Bay Company 300,000 pounds and then it became Which is Canada. the equivalent of $60 million today, which is probably, it's a bit of a bargain, really, when you think about it, all the land they got for that. I wouldn't, I mean, it's 1870, it's not like 1500, but it's still like several million dollars, I'm sure, but still. Yeah, like, I mean, $60 million is a bargain for all that land. Oh, but yeah. The, on, the, on, the other, on the other side, it's $60 million for... Something we never owned to begin with. It's pretty good, too, so. Oh, yeah. I'm going to sell you my neighbor's house. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or I'll sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. Finally, the Europeans were drawn to the Northwest Territories because there was rumors of gold. So, like, the Klondike Rush, that happened yep. in Yukon Territory. That was 1896. That led to all kinds of people going up there. It also led to a bridge getting built between Bay Roberts and Coley's Point called the Klondike. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was about that same time. That's why it's named that, right? The Klondike. It was around really? The Klondike. I think so. I think the story was building the Klondike, which is, it's not a bridge. Well, part of it is a bridge, but what what do you call that when they... Causeway. A, a, is that what it's called? I think so. Like they, you build something that connects two lands across like a bay, whatever, but it's not quite a bridge. It's like you put a bunch of dirt out there. <laughs> yeah, you fill it in and they put a bridge there just to get the water. There's part of it's a bridge so that the water can flow underneath. Yeah. Right, right. But uh, I think the story was it's named the Klondike because it created so much work in the area at the time that it was like a, a Klondike mark. gold rush. Yeah. Um, but anyway, nice. that's, that's Bay Roberts history. So that was in the Yukon, which was part of the Northwest Territories at you know, in 1870 when it became part of Canada. There was rumors that there was gold in this elusive Nahani Valley, this place where the Dene people said, don't be going there. It's yeah. evil and you'll disappear. But, you know, the white people were like, yeah, but gold though. So they would go there anyway. They had stories. Of course, like all 
throughout Canada at this, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there's trading posts everywhere. Yep. So you're trading your furs and you're also telling stories, right, as you go place to place. People started hearing like in the Nahani Valley up in the Northwest Territories, gold is just lying there for the taking. You just pick it up right off the ground. And this caused a lot of people to want to go up there and kind of seek their fortunes. Here's the story of Frank and Willie McLeod. In 1908, or maybe 1904, I'm not sure, I read both, brothers Frank and Willie McLeod left Edmonton, Alberta in search of gold in the mysterious Nahani Valley. They had no proof that anyone actually had gold up there. It was all just rumors. And even though the native people like the Dene would say, don't be going there, it's evil, the brothers were convinced that they were the ones who were going to find that gold. There. Yeah, so would you, if someone told you don't go there, it's evil, and you thought it was a lot of money there, would you go? No. <laughs> you wouldn't? I would. Well, n- no. Sounds like, sounds like the Goonies. It does sound like the Goonies. But I think at the time, it's early 1900s, say, somewhere between 1904 and 1908, I think people may have thought, Oh, the the native people are just telling stories. They're superstitious, primitive people. We, you know, yep. it's just stories. Or m- maybe that, or maybe they thought they're just trying to keep the gold for themselves. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't, like I said, it's, it's kind of like saying don't go in the woods because the fairies will get you. But the rumor is there's gold out there. I'd go out there to try and find the gold. See, I'd go out there to try to find the fairies. <laughs> yeah, see, I'll get rid of the gold. Yeah. Actually, the fairies are probably worth more in the long run than the gold were. Yeah, yeah, I would say if you had definitive proof of uh, fairies, it would be worth more than gold. So even though they were said, like, don't be going there, they're like, no, we're the ones that's going to find it. But that, that obviously, I wouldn't be telling the story if that's what happened. Yeah. So they go off looking for the gold. A year passes and no one hears anything of them. I mean, it's a full year. Maybe they're up there digging around looking for stuff. Maybe they found the gold and they took off to go somewhere else. No one really do. But they got, they got north to Alaska. The rush is on way up north. <laughs> um, As a second Johnny Horton reference in sub- subsequent episodes. So they didn't know what happened, but they were determined to go find out. So it was either their uncle or a third brother or just a random search party. I'm not sure. They decided that they were going to go up and find out what happened to Frank and Willie McLeod. They go up. They All they knew is they were going to this Nahani Valley. So they go up there and... They do find them, sort of. They find their bodies. Oh. They find their dead bodies, except their heads are missing. Oh. Their heads are never recovered. Nobody knows whatever happened to their heads. So how would they know? Was they had the same clothes on or something? So all, all of their personal effects were with them. Still, yeah. So it looked like the the head cut was like a clean cut, not not like okay. a jack, like an axe. You know, it's like something like it didn't look like a wild animal did it, and all their belongings were there. So okay. So would you be able? Yeah, okay. Would you be able like if if that wasn't there, would you be able to tell your spouses or, or would you be able to tell my body if my if I was you found me lying dead with my head cut off? Be able to tell it was me, headless. If I had the context clues of. I'm going to the specific place to find you. Yeah, that's true. And then I found a six foot long body <laughs> because the head is gone, right? And yeah. also a wallet with your ID in there. No, this say you never had none of that stuff, though. It was just a six foot body. Would you be able to tell it was me? 
I mean, if I just stumbled across and I didn't realize you were Is missing, it? probably not. But if okay. I, if you were like the only bodies in the place where I knew that you were. Yeah. That, right. That, yeah. I mean, okay. Right. Well, a better question might be, would, well, like, would your wife know it was you? Yes, probably. Right. She check. Uh, tends to look at my dick. <laughs> <laughs> I would him. not do that. <laughs> that's him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But I, you know what, honestly, when you said that, because my mind is weird, the thing that I said, my thought in my head was how I would determine that it was actually you, your body, like if your head was gone, your cat, you wouldn't have a cataract problem anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But if your head was gone, I would look at your hands because I think I'd be able to recognize your hands. My hands. Okay. Because you have the same shape hands and fingers and fingernails as dad. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's a d- very distinct hand look, and I think okay. that's how I... A hand model. <laughs> yes. I, I thought of it as, as a spouse, and the, first, <laughs> the genitals would be my definitive uh, <laughs> attribute. I'm just saying your wife has red hair. It'd probably be pretty easy to... <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, right. I'll cut so that. So, Mom, are you listening? Sorry. No, no. I mean, yeah. she, mother knows we got youngsters. That's <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I would be able to use my context clues to figure out if yeah, I was no. looking Yeah, no. Well, definitely for... in this situation, you're going to look for people you know they're there, and you find two people that look just like them with their heads cut off. Yes. Yeah. So their heads are, are gone, and uh, they're nev- nobody knows what happened to them. They're never recovered. And since uh, since that time, the valley became known as the Valley of the Headless Men or the Headless Valley. Nice. So this was not the only case of mysterious ca- decapitation. Oh. All right. I I take it back. I would go. I wouldn't go back here. I... <laughs> yeah. After after the fourth or fifth decapitated body. Yeah. I, I don't right. care what's up there. No. Keep your gold. In 1917, a prospector named Martin Jorgensen, he thought he would try his his luck in the Headless Valley. So by now, it's officially unofficially called the Headless Valley. And he's like Headless Valley, but gold. So he decides he's gonna go. So he sets out, he builds a cabin out in the wild and he like, that's kind of his stop off post. So he stays in the cabin when he's prospecting and he kind of goes back and forth with this community where he trades for goods. One day, the people in the community where the trading post is, they get uh, worried because they haven't seen Jorgensen in a a while. So they know he's out looking for gold in the Headless Valley. So they figured they'd probably go take a look to see where he's (laughs) to. So they form a search party. And they come across his cabin. Now, they find not only his decapitated body and his head is nowhere to be found. The cabin is burnt to the ground. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I would say, say, fuck this place. <laughs> I mean, it's called the Valley of the Headless Man. Like, don't. Yeah. For, right there. First of all, the, the people that have lived there and have, like, cultural memories from thousands of years say, don't go there. Yep. It's not a cool place to go. That's that's clue number one. Clue number two, a couple of guys are found without their heads and their heads are never recovered. Those two things, don't do not do it. Yeah, that's enough, yeah. And then this frigger goes up and he's, and he's cabin burns to the ground and his head is missing. Still people want to go. In 1932, a trapper slash prospector, he's a renaissance man named phil powers he decides he's going to go up and be looking for gold in the honey valley they find his decapitated uh body in his burnt out cabin a lot like martin 
Jorgensen. It's kind of the same MO. Except in his case, they do find his head or his skull because he's nothing but a skeleton. But his skull is crushed and Mm. it's laid between his feet bones. Mm. So something took off his head, either pre or post. Smashed it. Smashed it. Either that's how he died or did it afterwards, whatever, and put the skull between his feet. And nearby, there's a note that said, Finney Phil Powers, 1932. It looks like uh, F-I-N-I-S. So it's either Finney, like like, uh, French, or Finnish. They say that it was a suicide note. So he hacked off his head and gently laid it between his feet. (laughs) Right. That's the story of Phil Powers and his decapitated body. And then again in 1945, another headless uh, person is found. Uh, This was a miner. I don't know what his name was, but he was discovered dead without a head, which was never recovered. And he. Billy Billy Miner, wasn't it? <laughs> no. he, had, he had cod liver pills. Uh no, this this poor dude was uh his body was found uh in a sleeping bag. So it was just like a neck bone sticking out, <laughs> right? Jeez. And out of the sleeping bag. I mean, right there, that's like you know, and there's other stories as well, but like those are kinda of like the main stories of the headless people found in the headless valley. I mean it's it's named appropriately, yeah. right? That's enough to find. That's enough. To earn its name. So what do you think happened? Like, how did all these people get decapitated? What do you think? I don't know. I guess there's somebody that lives there that doesn't like people visiting and he hacks their head off. Something is going on. But that's a big stretch of time. Like, between those stories, say, like, the earliest possible of those stories was, like, 1904 and then the latest is 1945. That's a pretty long time, right? Must be a family of them. Must be a multi-generational family who uh, (laughs) protecting their land via decapitation. That theory is just as good as any of the other theories that I read. So let me let me run them down for you. There's only a few. So the first theory was that the Naha people are, are real and they didn't disappear. They're just hiding. Yeah, I, don't, I don't buy that one. Okay. Why? Weren't they like half human, half giant beaver? They, <laughs> uh, the, the Dene people said they were they either wore masks to look frightening or they weren't fully human. One or okay. the other. Right. Well, it, could be, it could be them, I guess. So, but, you know, what if the legends of the Denny people are true? That's true. More recently, like in the later half of the 1900s, explorers in, in the Nahani Valley. Now, this is a very remote place. Like, even today, your best way to get there is by bush plane. Right? Oh. There's, you know, it's not, you don't just drive on up in your cabin. Well, maybe you can now, but the best way to get is, is bush plane. But some explorers up there recently have have discovered, never known before, huge cave systems up there. So it's possible that there were people living up there and sheltering in... Trolls. Uh, trolls <laughs> sheltering in these caves. So that would explain a lack of artifacts. You know, they don't find yeah, any. No, you know, they're all in the caves. They're all in the caves. It's, it's a pretty wild theory, but... I mean, there's a lot of groups in the world that are uncontacted groups or uncontacted tribes. So today, there's thought to be at least around 100 uncontacted groups in living in the world. Yeah, and it's like they've never seen a car, they've never seen exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. Sometimes those uh, these uncontacted groups are called indigenous peoples in voluntary isolation. That's that's okay. like the official word name of it. That just blows my mind. Indigenous peoples in voluntary isolation. So there's people that have been known to the outside world, but 
the purposely left alone. So if you think about, uh, I don't know if you know this story about what happened to the American missionary. Uh, I think his name is John Chow or John Cho, something like that. In 2017, he wanted to spread Christianity to the Sentinelese people. They live in uh, Sentinel Island in India. They're actually protected. You're not allowed to contact them. They're protected under uh, Indian law, meaning the laws of the land country of India. Yes, I, <laughs> right? I, know, I know what you mean. Okay, I wasn't. Yeah, you're not allowed to contact them at all. They he had this bright idea that he was going to go spread, you know, the good word the, the to Lord, them. The Lord, the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly. People are clever. Like I was watching YouTube videos about this and people were like, you want to meet Jesus? No, do you? (laughs) Because they murdered him. And then, yeah, like, but these are, they're known. Like they've been. The only difference, yeah. The the people, the Sentinelese people have been known since the 1800s, but they're purposely left alone. They want to be left alone. Don't go near them. You're not allowed to contact them. Sort of like there's a little island that they. Yeah. Yep. That's the, it's their island and that's it. You're not allowed there. And yep. Yep. Don't bother us. We won't bother you type thing. That's right. But if okay. you do bother us, we'll kill you with a bow and arrow. Okay. So actually in that case, and I don't know what ended up in the end uh, of it, but what happened was some fishermen brought this American missionary to the island fully illegally. The last that they saw of him, they reported he was on the beach he was shot by an arrow and dragged into the jungle. Oh wow! Yeah, so he they was killed. killed instantly as soon as he got there. Oh yeah, there was there was no spreading the good word. It was like nope. So what was his plan? He can't communicate with these people obviously because he doesn't speak whatever. I guess he figured God would protect him. Yeah, he seemed to be a self righteous asshole. To be quite honest with you, like they do not want you to be there. Don't be there, and you're not allowed to be there. But yeah. the 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 people that brought him there, they were actually charged with his murder. Not the oh, Sentinelese wow. people, but the people that brought him to the place. But I don't know what the outcome of that trial was. But anyway, my point my point is there are groups living in the world today that are either voluntarily isolated. And therefore, it's not hard to imagine that there are groups in isolated places, possibly like the Northwest Territories, that are uncontacted. So... The theory is kind of wild, but also not super wild, I guess. And there's even a theory. This this was pretty cool, actually, that the Naha were actually um, Vikings that settled in the area. Mm. We know Vikings did visit North America at least a thousand years ago, and they have a settlement in Lonsa Meadows, Newfoundland. We know that they did explore at least to Baffin Island. They call that uh, Helleland. Yeah. And maybe they went farther north and west. That would explain the masks. You know, they would have been covered yeah. in armor. And uh, metal weapons, getting heads hacked off cleanly, you know. It's an interesting theory. The next, so the Naha people being really still around, that's one theory. Uh, Next theory is something called the uh, Nukluk. This is a a mythical wild man. Say three stooges. (laughs) Yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, now, this is like a Sasquatch looking thing. So he's described to be eight feet tall and 400 pounds. Some people say that the Nukluk actually wiped out the Naha. I don't know. It's said to be an evil place. That's just, you know, maybe it was killed by a wild beast. And then the final theory was this one might be this is kind of where you were, actually, was that it's a serial killer. Yeah. 
So it, there's a similar MO, right? All the heads are chopped off. Um, nothing is taken. It's just except for maybe the heads. So they actually have a theory about who the serial killer could have been. So mm. here's another uh, story about the Northwest Territories that ties into this. So they think that these headless people may have been victims of a, a trapper named Albert Johnson, otherwise known as the Mad Trapper of Rat River. Johnson which may have been an alias, nobody knows. He was known to be a reclusive trapper in the area. In December of 1931, other trappers in the area issued a complaint to the RCMP saying that their traps were being sabotaged. Someone is frigging around with our stuff, and I think it's this Johnson guy. He's a loony. He lives out all the way over there in a weird cabin, and he's a weird guy. So two RCMP officers, I don't know if uh, Nielsen's dad was one of them. Actually. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, 1931, maybe, maybe. Uh, Jeez, how old is he? Probably not Leslie Nielsen's dad. Two RCMP officers made the 60-kilometer journey out to Johnson's cabin. So, And this cabin was about 40 kilometers away or outside of the Nahani Valley. So they went out there to see what's up with the traps. When they arrive, Johnson completely refuses to speak or acknowledge the uh, officer's existence at all. He's just standing in the window and creepily staring at them. Mm. No communication. Wow. <laughs> Which is very off-putting, I think. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, I'd rather him say, fuck off, than uh, do that. Exactly, exactly. So the officers are kind of like, uh, not sure what to do here. So they decide, they just want to go out and talk to him. Like, yep. listen, don't be messing with people's stuff, okay? Don't Cut people's heads off. Don't be a dick. Yeah, stop cutting up people's heads. They decide they're going to go back to the age quarters. Uh, headquarters and get a search warrant and that would allow them to go into the cabin and this is like you know northwest territories trekking all over god's creation so they return five days later with two more officers they're sufficiently creeped out (laughs) with their first semi encounter so now there's four of them again johnson refuses to engage he's just creepily staring out the window so this time they have a warrant they know they're within the the law so constable alfred king he attempts to enter the cabin as soon as he gets up to the door johnson shoots through the door shoots the um constable i i can't remember where he got shot but shoots him he survives luckily he survives but the officers instead of pursuing this warrant about the traps they decide to make the 60 kilometer trek back to civilization to get uh, Constable King sort of looked at. And he did survive. What's really weird about this is they were coming to ask him about the trapping situation. Then it escalated to officer down. Yeah. It, you know, it's it, it escalated quickly. If this was on the internet, <laughs> they would be, be yeah. a meme, right? So this trapping dispute could have been peacefully resolved by normal people, but it turned into a gigantic manhunt. So when the RCMP returned for the third time, they meant business. So this time they came back with nine guys, 42 dogs, and get this, <laughs> and get this, 20 pounds of dynamite. Well, what are you going to do? Send the dogs into dynamite? <laughs> dogs with bees and when they bark, bees. <laughs> no, they, they were prepared. They're like, listen, we're going 60 kilometers out into the wilderness. We are taking... They're like the ice truckers. They're taking... They always get their man, right? And yes, the Mounties always get their man. So they end up blowing up the cabin with the dynamite. But Johnson 
they're like, all right, this is going to get, you know, this is going to be the end of this. But he was fine. So he was like a crazy survivalist guy before it was even a thing. So he had dug out this whole area sort of under and behind the cabin. So like when they come to blow up my cabin, I'll be in my hidey hole. So they blew it up. And then he comes out like some kind of action movie villain, guns a blazing from this blowed up cabin. <laughs> Shooting dogs. Shooting, uh, you know what? I didn't hear, I didn't see anything about uh, any dogs getting injured in any of this. Like, no animals were injured in the making of this mm. story. But he's like guns a blazing from the records. There's a, a whole thing happens there with all these 42 dogs and the nine police officers. And uh, he actually ends up escaping into the wilderness. Like, he, he takes off. Jeez. 33 days after the first two officers go up to say, excuse me, sir, we want to talk to you about your traps. Johnson is caught and killed 137 kilometers away from the cabin. The weather was minus 40 degrees thereabout, and there was at least one raging blizzard. They actually tracked him down by um, an, a bush plane. Like, they were coming at him, right? Jeez. So what did, what did they do? They found him and they fired the, dropped the bombs at him out of the bush plane? Well, uh, <laughs> they were shooting at him. He actually shot and killed one of the police officers. Like, yeah. Jeez. Like shooting at the plane? Uh, They went out in a plane. They did not shoot him from the plane. They were tracking him from, from a plane, right, to see where he might have been. But, like, he had no, he just went off with the clothes on his back in negative 40 degrees in a blizzard and just survived for 33 days in the wilderness. No food, no water. Just, Jeez. like, it's unbelievable. They end up having a shootout with him and he he actually <laughs> one of the uh, shots got him like i guess i don't know where some pocket i was gonna say his leg but I, I that's just how i imagine it but anyway he had ammunition in his pocket and where he got shot he got shot like where the ammunition was up. and it blew up yeah. it's a terminator <laughs> so he he eventually was shot and killed though and uh you know the, this guy's my hero he's and you know what the entire time he was said the 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 RCMP said he never ever said a word, ever the wow. whole time. The only sound they ever heard him made, they said he cackled when he shot and killed um, the officer. They you know they killed him. They got his body. Among his effects were there's a bunch of stuff. He had like two thousand <laughs> bunch of heads. <laughs> no, they had, he had like two thousand dollars on him back then. So okay. you know. Uh, a bunch of a dead squirrel was one of the things he had and <laughs> all kinds of I mean, he was seriously unhinged. But the thing that kind of ties in this whole maybe he was the serial killer guy was clearly mm. he had no regard for human life. Right. Yeah. And he also had a jar with five gold teeth in it. None of them were oh. his. OK. They think that maybe he stole the heads to get the teeth with the gold in it. Although he wasn't spending his money either. He was just like, I had two grand in my pocket and I'm in the wilderness, you know? Okay. Well, that's, uh, this guy's a uh, character. I mean, he could have been a, a complete episode on his own. Oh, he's a, just, he's Rambo. <laughs> he is. He's like Rambo of the North and they don't even really know who he was. So it could have been a serial killer. It could have been, could have been that, or it could have been uh, copycats of like, yeah. maybe the first guys were killed and just then there was copycats. Yeah. And... No. I think it's this guy. This, this last guy, he, he's the guy that did it. I mean, it could be. I mean, 40 kilometers away from Nahani Valley, but, I mean, obviously he took off for 137 kilometers 
without any provisions except for <laughs> a pocket full of ammunition that exploded. You know, dead squirrel. Dead squirrel for good luck. And he also had a dead bird too. I don't know. Yeah, this guy was uh, he was he was one for the ages. Yeah, he's definitely an unhinged character. So yeah, maybe maybe it was that. But that's the head. And then. I was I was thinking of the timeline. I'm like, but then like, so when they killed him, was that the end? But it wasn't, right? Because there was the story about the guy from 1945, and yeah. this all happened in 1932. But it could have been a copycat, or some other crazy trapper prospector. I mean, all he had to do is say, "I won't mess with your traps anymore." Yeah. But, either way, it's probably best to get rid of this guy when you think about it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Was, I don't think he was contributing a lot to society. <laughs> I wouldn't say so. The Nahani Valley legacy. Let's <laughs> let let's talk about it. So we don't. There's no recent stories of decapitated explorers. So that's good. But the area is still respected for for what it is. Like I said, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and um, it's protected both as a UNESCO site and under Parks Canada. No postage stamps or coins no. with headless people, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is one that doesn't merit a celebration. No, no mad trappers, nothing like that. But you can get a postage stamp with that Virginia Falls, the really yeah. high one. You can get a postage stamp with that. And uh, there's also a Canadian mint of a $20 coin with the park series, um, okay. in the park series. And it's just, you know, the you see like a bear in the forefront. I think it's a grizzly bear and you know, the rivers and the mountains and everything behind, but no, uh, no headless corpse coins or stamps. Yeah. This oh, that's probably a good thing. Like I said, not, not something to celebrate, uh, by the Royal Canadian mint. Well, I mean, in, in the Dunk Garvin Hooper, they had the, the, the guy with the cauldron and the, the hand sticking out of it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess this was not really a, a story or a legend. This was, Definitely people that were found without their people heads. Dead, so, yeah. yeah, it's a little bit more. Uh, it's it's more acceptable to have yeah. those things on a coin when it's a, a legend or a story or a myth. But when it's like real ass dead people, uh, it might be in poor taste. Usually, I guess the old, the newer it is, the less legendary it is, right? Like Bonnie yeah. and Clyde are celebrated, even though they were criminals, right? Whereas, right, right, yeah. So that that's my stories about the Nahani Valley. I mean, it's got all kinds of stuff in there. The Mad Trapper story was like, oh, what that's, is that's this fantastic. guy? Like you said, that's that's an episode on its own. Yeah. So that's our that's our episode about the Northwest Territories. What have we learned? What's your top yeah. three things? Do you think the top three things I learned is that John Rambo lived <laughs> in the Northwest Territories. No, I learned I guess the difference between a territory and a province. That's something. That I always wondered, but again, something I didn't wonder enough that I actually looked up. So I'm glad that I actually finally figured out what the difference was. Mm-hmm. I, I learned that the the population of the Northwest Territories is a lot less than I thought. Like I I didn't have I didn't think it was as much as Newfoundland. I thought there was a couple hundred thousand people for sure. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I learned, I guess, that the, the Diné people have a very rich culture that had a lot of very interesting stories that uh, I, I never knew before, and I didn't realize would would, would be there, but. Uh, Again, mm-hmm. you know, most of the northern parts of Canada were um, inhabited by indigenous people, and mm-hmm. all indigenous people, no matter what group it is or what First Nations group it is, they all have a very rich culture and a very rich history that mm-hmm. uh, has a lot of good stories. So, uh, again, Northwest Territory is no different. Yeah. For me, it was, number one, it's not all, like, frozen snow all the time. 
I mean, that's a really that's really a very ignorant way for for me to look at that. And I'm glad that I don't. I mean, I knew that there's trees and, and you know people live there and all that kind of stuff. But I did have a vision in my head that it's like a barren land. It is not. It is but not. I, at I all. never knew anybody from Northwest Territories. I've never really had any reason to look at or think about or research anything about the Northwest Territories. So uh, I guess that's probably why you're ignorant because you just never really had a reason to look at it, right? I, de- I definitely learned that I would love to visit there. Like I said, that, that hotel you discovered or that inn where you can see the uh, Northern Lights where you can lie down in your mm-hmm. room. I, that's something I'd really like to do. Um, I don't know if I ever will. I mean, I'm sure it's not a cheap endeavor. I'm sure it's not. And I, it's probably, it would probably take you like a day to get there. Like if you were For to sure. fly. Yeah. I don't know if we have listeners in the Northwest Territories or not. If we don't and you do hear about this, I hope that we've done your region, your territory justice. I hope we represented it well. And personally, for me, I know that I really enjoyed reading stories about it. I thought it was great and fascinating. I was worried I wouldn't be able to find anything. And then kind of like with New Brunswick, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find anything. But then I was like, wait, which thing do I pick? There's yeah, so exactly. many things. So if you like it, if you liked um, this episode, if you like the show, please feel free to share it with your family and friends and enemies. If you don't like the show, feel free to give us a five-star review. If you do like it, it does help. And if you want to reach out to us, then drop us a line. Let us know anything at all. Give them the, the reach out thing. Yeah, Barry. you can reach out to us at SomeWeirdPod on Twitter. You can email us at somewhereadpodcast at gmail.com or you can submit a story or check out a little bit about us on our website, www.somewhereadpodcast.com. Is that right? Yep. yep. I actually updated it today. Is there ever something you think that we could do better that we're not doing? I'd love to hear it. Because like I said, we're, we're certainly no experts and I'm sure that doesn't come. I'm sure we sound like experts, but we're not. <laughs> I know that I I've, feedback I've heard was, I love Barry's voice. Oh, there you go. That's that's what I've heard from right. from people. That's pretty much, yeah. I mean, what other feedback do you want other than that? <laughs> no, but, people do. People do. Yeah, like, like it. I said, but you know, we're, we're not experts. If anything, you think we can do better? Anything we can change? Anything we're not doing that you think would be uh, of benefit to the podcast? Let us know. Like I said, we won't hurt our feelings, so we'd like to know. And we'd like to make it as best we can. Yeah, we're going to continue doing it either way. So you may as well tell us. Could be the shits. And you say, <laughs> yeah, we're still doing it. So. Next episode, we will be back with stories from British Columbia. Mm. I don't know anything about that either, so I'm sure I'll discover all kinds of crazy stuff. So until then, we hope you enjoy this. Stories about, I don't know, everything that's going on in Northwest Territories. Northwest Territories. Some weird boy. Some weird. Tears are not enough. That was Brian Adams' part.